0: You have wandered into a story about people, people who love and live daylilies. Deep sit and enjoy the spoken word or grab your copy of Daylilies, a 50-year affair off the shelf. I'm Nikki Schmidt, the most recent past president of the American Daylily Society, and I'll be your spoken word tour guide as we discover this 50-year affair. In this episode, we dive into the first chapter, which has three fun sections. It's titled Once Upon a Time, and there is whimsical prose by Helen Field Fisher and a beautiful line drawing of a daylily on the chapter page. Enjoy it. A place called Shenandoah. Shenandoah, Iowa. Population 6,000 in 1924, and about the same today. Nestled in the Nishnabotna River Valley, amidst the gently contoured plains of southwest Iowa, it seems an unlikely place to have played mother host to the formation of an international horticultural society. Yet, the Shenandoah citizenry was then, and still is, close to the earth. The town received its name in 1870 from Civil War veterans who thought it resembled the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia. The native black soil was rich. Corn and cattle thrive. When our story begins in 1946, two things set this town apart. One, its seed houses, namely Earl May Seed and Nursery Company, and Henry Field Seed Company. And two, its radio stations, KMA and KFNF, again, Earl Mays and Henry Fields. To say that these two enterprises were friendly competitors is to understate the case, but for our purposes, we will look more closely at Henry Field's. The Shenandoah radio stations date back to 1924, when Henry Field's 500-watt Friendly Farmer Station began broadcasting songs by the Seed House Girls and the Cornfield Canaries. More to the point were discussions of subjects like flowers and their influence on the home. In the early part of the century, remember, proficiency in domestic science— by the housewife, of course, was an assumed requisite to a happy marriage. The importance of radio in the early part of the 20th century could hardly be underestimated. Farms were isolated, and television existed only in the imagination of H.G. Wells. The Shenandoah radio stations in particular were a phenomenon of their day, made so by the larger-than-life personalities of their owners. Earl May was the P.T. Barnum of the garden trade, while Henry Field was the horticulturist and the visionary. It was Henry Field who first saw the advantage of utilizing the power of radio to expand his seedhouse trade. Earl May, master of one-upmanship, quickly followed suit. In this small town, the two Seedsmen provided increasingly elaborate live entertainment staged in rival auditoriums. Both radio stations boosted their wattages until, by 1940, each claimed to have been intercepted on foreign shores, although the message must have been scratchy indeed. Each station employed popular hosts who aired programs on cooking, homemaking, and gardening. Their positions were usually filled by local women, possessed of an easy manner and articulate down-home style that captivated listeners as far away as California on a good day. These broadcasters were unpretentious practitioners of a specialized trade known as radio homemaking. Such was the role filled by the flower lady, Helen Field Fisher. Meanwhile, the round robin party. The year 1946 was a factor in our story. World War II had finally come to a close. Four years of deprivation, rationing, and restrictions were winding down. The radio stations resumed their normal programming, which included Helen Field Fisher's Garden Club of the Air. Politically correct victory gardens, all veggies, that had prevailed throughout the war years, again made room for flowers. The radio stations claimed among their listeners several round-robin correspondents. Some of these robins were organized by Helen Field Fisher herself, while others were under the wing of a popular garden magazine, Flower Grower. Remembering the great pre-war flower shows, Robin members longed for such a party. Enthusiastic plans developed along the circuit. The event would be held in Shenandoah at the invitation of Mrs. Fisher, radio friend and mentor to scores of corresponding gardeners. 10 years later the 1956 round robin chairman viola richards would describe the events leading up to the meeting and the formation of the midwest hemerocallis society her firsthand account follows it's titled in the beginning that the round robins played an important role in the formation and growth of our society may not be known by some of our newer members For several years, Flower Grower Magazine had a round-robin department in the charge of Marion Thomas. Groups were formed on the diverse subjects, with their members scattered all over the United States. The first Tamarocallus round-robin was formed in 1943 under the leadership of Mrs. Charles Hindman, then of Overland, Missouri, but now a resident of Sebring, Florida. I became a member of the group and later took charge of it, and some of the newly formed groups too. Mary Clater, St. Joseph, Missouri, became a member of one such group, and through her, I learned that Round Robins were circulating in the Midwest. They received their impetus from the flower lady, Helen Field Fisher, whose daily half-hour programs over KFNF of the Henry Field Seed Company, Shenandoah, Iowa, were eagerly followed by flower lovers in Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas, and Missouri. Since Mrs. Fisher could not personally answer all of those letters, she suggested the formation of round robins by those interested in the same things. Daisy Ferrick took charge of one for daylilies. Mrs. Clayter was one of its members, as was Marie Anderson, who later took charge of other groups. I became a member of that first group and through it met Mrs. Fisher. For many years, the Henryfield Seed Company had sponsored a flower show, but during World War II, it had been discontinued. In a round-robin letter after the war, Mrs. Anderson suggested that the shows be resumed, so Mrs. Fisher agreed to see what could be done about it. When the next flight of letters returned, plans were already in the making for a show, and the writers said, Viola, you must come. This I dismissed as desirable but impossible, but pressure finally became too strong to resist, so I went. I knew no one except through correspondence, but identification was all that was needed to put one on an old friend basis. There was a strong feeling that there should be an organization to provide information on daylilies, and during that flower show, the time seemed to have arrived. Mrs. Fisher promoted both Daylilies and the show over the air, and a large crowd arrived on Saturday, July 13th, 1946. Many remained overnight, and others came on Sunday. The show was of much interest, though it was not confined to just Daylilies. In the afternoon, a meeting was held in the auditorium of the Seed House, and the organization of the Midwest Hemerocallis Society was effected. While the moving spirit was that of Mrs. Fisher, her sister, Jessie Shambaugh, Clarinda, Iowa, was the chairman of the show and had a vital part in all that took place. It was she who wrote out the motion, which was handed to me to read, quote, We here today organize a Midwest Hemerocallis society, end quote. The group that had formulated the plans which were presented consists of Mrs. Shambaugh, Merritt Witten, Marie Anderson, Daisy Farrick, Olga roth Teeman, Mary Claytor, and Viola Richards. The officers elected were Mr. Witten, President, Mrs. Shambaugh, Vice President, Mrs. Farrick, Secretary, Frederick Fisher, Treasurer, Mrs. Anderson, Round Robin, Secretary, Mrs. Richards, Affiliation Secretary, Mrs. Teeman, Publicity. The membership fee was set at $3, and Mrs. Claytor became the first charter member. Mrs. Fisher was number two, and I was number three. I am now the oldest living charter member of the society, since Mrs. Claytor and Mrs. Fisher are now deceased. Mrs. Farrick says she was too busy taking in memberships to get an early number herself. This penned by Viola Richards, 1956. In only six months following the meeting, Gretchen Harshbarger, daughter of Helenfield Fisher, edited the first yearbook, which gave more immediate reactions to the great event. Paul Fries, editor of The Flower Grower, predicted an exciting future for the fledgling organization. He wrote, I do not know if you are aware as yet of just what you have discovered in your first Ron Robin convention held in Shenandoah. As I read the reports that have come to me, I believe that you have started an entirely new horticulture movement in the United States. Sometimes the sheer flow of adrenaline can overcome painful obstacles. Edna Hupp of Nebraska wrote to Mrs. Fisher on the day after. She writes, Didn't someone say the flower people were crazy? Well, I really believe some of them are, especially me for I'll tell you under what circumstances I came. My husband owns and operates a filling station and garage, so that evening I was uptown finishing my plans and getting ice for flowers and making last-minute arrangements. The gas tank man was pumping gas in our tank underground. I had to stop a minute and, of course, discuss my going to the flower show with the young man, and a man walked up, lit a cigarette, and dropped the match in the fumes of gas-covering area about... 10 foot square with me in the middle. It exploded. It was only a few seconds duration as thanks to the oil man he immediately grabbed the fire extinguisher and put out the blaze but it caught the right side of my dress on fire and burned my leg severely. I didn't sleep a wink Friday night so got out as soon as daylight I picked my flowers and prepared to come to the flower show. The leg was awfully sore and probably some noticed me limping but I made it fine. It was an inspiration to be one of such an enthusiastic crowd. I shall repeat what I so often say. There's no gift that is so precious as a beautiful memory. For the continued memory of that day, I am grateful. Thanks to the power of radio, this meeting and flower show received advanced publicity from coast to coast. The party turned out to be much bigger than anticipated. The activities were to catch the attention of the American Plant Life Society, whose members had a particular interest in the daylily. It was from this group that AHS drew an impressive pool of scientific minds. More about this in later chapters entitled Registration and Discovery. As for the Robins... They immediately establish their position as holders of the most popular section in the New Society's journal, where their excerpts remain the undisputed favorite to this day. The next and final section in this chapter is titled, As Charter Members Go. I love the way that this section is laid out, and I won't be reading it word for word because it's definitely something that needs to be experienced visually. How it is laid out is at the 10-year anniversary of the Society, someone spoke with charter members and asked them specific questions. They did that again, celebrating the Society's 20th birthday. And then again with the publication of this book at the 50th birthday and reading through this section of chapter one and hearing the first person accounts from these charter members and it's very moving and it's very sentimental and it is on pages 14 through 17 of chapter one. And I really, again, encourage you to get a hard copy of the book so that you can see a lot of these features that are really great visually. Pick it up, tune into chapter one, page 14, and read as charter members go. Before I leave chapter one, I just want to go back to two photos on page 10 and 11. On page 10, there is a very stoic photo of Henry Field behind the microphone at radio station KFNF. The figure caption reads as follows, Henry Field, founder of the nursery that bears his name and of radio station KFNF that began on the third floor of the seat house. Eventually, a small detached building was added next door from which Helen Fieldfisher conducted her broadcasts. Before all was said and done, the field complex in downtown Shenandoah included everything from an auditorium to a tourist court. Built in a popular style of Spanish architecture, it was an early 20th century version of a shopping mall. The original building was gutted by fire in 1994, but the stucco walls survived intact to recall the charm of a bygone day. Henry Field was an innovator, But not the businessman that his competitor was. By 1945, he had lost control of the seed company. He died in 1949 at the age of 78, remembered as a strong family man of high moral character. The American Daylily Society is indebted to the Large Field family for hosting the first daylily meeting and for contributing several key members, including Henry's sister, Helen Field Fisher. Her photo on page 11 is the second photo I wanted to mention before we left this chapter. Her figure caption reads as follows, Helen Field Fisher, author, radio homemaker, hostess to the first Daily meeting in Shenandoah, winner of the AHS's first Helen Field Fisher Award, sister of Henry Field. Our society still presents the Helen Field Fisher Award each year, And it's given to the single individual in the society that represents a major contribution to the society and its mission. I'll post a link to all the previous Helen Field Fisher gold medal winners in the show notes for this week. Well, we did it. We made it through our first chapter. Next time, Chapter 2, An Organization Grew. In the meantime, you should visit the American Daylily Society website at daylilies.org. Scoot on over to Facebook or Instagram and connect with me, and also join several active Facebook pages related to the Society and its flower. I'll do some extra commentary on my Facebook every time a new episode launches, and I'd love to have you as part of the conversation on my personal page. You can also do some research on the web where your local daily lovers are. Don't forget if you'd like to order one of the last available copies of this book in its final printing, you can do so on Amazon by searching for A 50 Year Affair. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast listening app. And leave a review or a rating so we can get into the ears of more Daylily fans. Thank you to the American Daylily Society and the countless volunteers and enthusiasts who keep its legacy alive. And of course, thank you to all the curious listeners out there. Special thanks to the book's author, Frances Gatlin, for her nod of support for this passion project. I'm glad you're here, reliving this affair with me. Check out the show notes, and until the next chapter... Be nice, y'all. It's easier.